This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey everyone, how you doing today? We have your favorite guest coming back, Anna Kelly. How you doing, Anna? I'm great today, Michael. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. Folks, let's try something different. I don't think I've ever done this on one of Anna's interview. Why don't you do me a favor, leave some comments letting you her know how much you appreciate her weekly contributions. Uh, let's let's really blow up this uh, comment section with thanks and gratitude for Anna because uh, she's been with us the longest and she is the original expert. So thank you very much, Anna. Oh, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. I enjoy doing this so much, and I hope your listeners get a ton of value. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Let's see if they let's see if they do their side of the equation and post a lot of comments. Uh, this okay. <laughs> our topic number one today is going to be inflation. Right, inflation is something that um, really hasn't been something I've considered in the 20 years I've been doing this. Uh, I think it's fair to say, given the amount of money we printed last year and this year, and maybe created is better than saying printing. Um, I think it's it's something we have to consider. Is it simply going to be you know the Fed mandate of two two and a half? Is it going to be more severe four? Or, you know, some people are talking hyperinflation, which I think is just a scare tactic. But I mean, inflation is a consideration today. So I was wondering what you think about it. Yeah, Michael, it is such a complex topic. And and I, I will start by saying, and I think I've said this before, and you always make me feel better about myself after I say it. But, you know, I, I'm not... Um, an economist, right? And, and so, but I've studied the economy a lot. And I, I have studied things like inflation and deflation and risk and things of that nature and how real estate can kind of hedge that. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of people a lot smarter than me in this. And, and guess what? There's like 10 different answers as to what's going to happen, no matter <laughs> how educated and smart um, these economists are, there's disagreement, right? And so I'll preface this with saying, does any of us really know what's going to happen? I think the answer is honestly no, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's so we're in such a different phase of economy right now, and there's so many things converging that it's not we don't have a historical past to look at and say this is what's happened in the past, and this is how we're going to get out of it, and this is the result that that happened in the past, so we can bank on something cyclical like that happening again, right? We see things from the past, um, and we can say if things work out like they did last time. If the government reacts the way they did this time, last time, maybe these things will happen, right? But there's so many unknowns that I will say, I have a, I think I have a pretty good idea of where things are going and some things I'm looking at in terms of how I'm trying to hedge my investments. But do I really know? Probably not, to be honest with you, right? So I just want to throw that out there and then let, let me know what you think about that statement. And then I'll talk about what I think is going to happen. Yeah. So, so first off, um, always appreciate just the level-headed nature, right? Uh, but again, we are investors, right? We're putting hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to work in an environment where 
we could get deflation. We could get asset price deflation, yeah. right? That's one of the outcomes that's out yeah. there. Uh, we could see huge inflation, both in asset price and consumer products. Um, yeah. You know, one of the, so I did study economics, did get an MBA. So it's, it's kind of, what I have seen from economists is they always declare what kind, like Janet Yellen's a labor economist, right? So yeah. she's all about full employment. Every economist I've known has their thing. And mine has always been the consumer. Yes. I mean, consumer is 68% of the economy. If you can figure out what 68% is doing, the other 32% comes along with it. That's just how I've yeah. always been. So what yeah. I see coming is I see demand pull inflation coming because the consumer has done one thing historically that I can count on is they've always spent. Yes, we've yeah. had moments of retraction like 9-11, like the Great Recession. 9-11 was really a retraction of about 90 days. The Great Recession was like nine, maybe 12 months, depending on the variables. This one's probably going to be 15 or 18 months, but that just means the spring back out of this, which probably starts in earnest in April, maybe May, is going to be something to behold, in my opinion. Now, how does that ripple through? I think, I think supply chains get you know a little beefier right we have problems with like car can you believe car manufacturers don't have chips to make cars today i mean that's one of the supplies oh. lazy boy just announced they have a supply chain problem making recliners yeah i mean there are real issues out there so i i see copper up gas up lumber up cement up and then we're going to throw in a infrastructure bill which i think is going to be four trillion plus i don't know how we don't get you know, CPI-based inflation, where I'm trying to scratch my head is what happens to asset prices? Because yeah. asset prices, the top end of the K got huge run the last 12 months. Does it go another 12 months? Does it retreat as the consumer comes back? I mean, there are so many cross currents going on. It's, it's going to be interesting to watch. A hundred percent. I am on exactly the same page as you, Michael, because when people throw out blanket statements, like we're going to see stagnation or deflation or hyperinflation. It's a blanket statement and not everything behaves the same way, right? So one of the things that you said in the beginning is, is the government going to try to keep their 2% inflation, right? Well, when the government looks at monetary policy and they decide are they going to keep rates lower or rates high, they want to keep rates low so that you continue to buy. You continue to buy things for your house. You continue to expand your business and take a loan. You continue to buy houses and take a loan because if they can get you spending, mm -hmm. right? If they can get you spending, then they can rely that eventually because of spending, you're going to have some inflation and they want inflation, they say to be 2%. But here's the thing, what inflation rate are they talking about, right? So you've got the inflation rate of the dollar, what's happening to the value of the dollar, but then you have consumer price index. And you know, even though they say they wanna maintain an inflation rate of 2%, um, so they don't want hyperinflation way higher than that, they don't want deflation where that go goes down, consumer price index inflation is usually about double that. So they say it's like three to 4%, right? Mm. But when you look at like a certain basket of goods that's most consumed by the American population, real inflation by many um, economist standards is really closer to five to 6% in terms of how much are we really 
um, getting for the dollar that we spend. So while wages may not go up 3%, um, the cost of all goods might not go up more than 3%. The cost of bread and milk and gas and oil and all those other things that we really need and spend a lot, the real inflation on those things can be six, seven, eight percent And then, oh, by the way, you throw in this supply chain interruption where we're not able to get goods or we look and we realize that even our American manufacturers are getting parts from China, right? And when we have these um, tariff issues and taxation issues and can't ship things here, if we're not making them, the costs of all of the, even the American-made products that use some foreign um, you know, parts or just have a supply chain interruption, they're going to make the inflation for those goods significant, right? So there's different inflation. And, and that's where then you say, well, how is all that going to converge and impact the, the value of my assets? And I think that's what we're all trying to figure out. Like, what happens to the dollar? How do we hedge against the value of the dollar deflating such that it can purchase less? The purchasing power of the dollar goes down when we talk about inflation. So when the government's printing all this money, everyone's saying they're printing so much, it's going to devalue the dollar. What that means is, is every dollar we have can purchase less because it's the dollar's worth less. But at the same time that that happens, Michael, consumer price index, the inflation of the cost of goods can go up significantly, even if the value of the dollar goes down. And our assets can go up significantly, even if the value goes down. And historically, that's what happens. And so um, there's so many things. And I think we just have to tick each one of those off as we talk about what really happens. Yeah, I mean, there's so much going on. The one thing that I've been playing with, because I just completed, uh, I just completed a commercial refi, right? One of my apartment buildings. And I, I got the longest term possible, right? 10 years, right? A little higher yes. rate, 10 years. Because when I look at all the things that are possible, I didn't want interest rate risk, right? Because one yes. of the outcomes is, okay, the 10-year treasury gets disconnected from what the Fed is doing on the short end. That then impacts banks lending on the 30-year and you know my rates go up substantially. So yes. you know, I, I guess I'm curious, when you look at commercial properties today and you're thinking about the refi or the reset timeframe, you, are you calculating interest rate risk for the first time? Because 20 years, the rate's been going down it could be going up a hundred percent. And, ah. and I started really thinking about interest rate risk when the market started to crash into at the end of 2008 and the beginning of 2009, mm. I thought rates are going to skyrocket, right? Because banks are tightening up. They're not giving loans. Um, they're printing all this money. They're giving all these bailouts. Um, there's houses in foreclosure rates are going to go up. And I had a loan that was going to be coming due, you know, three years later. And I called my bank and said, can I just lock in, like rates went down, can I lock that in for the next five years? And I paid to lock my rate at, I think, five and a quarter, Michael, I paid like $3,000. Well, what happened to Prime? It went down to three and a quarter and it stayed there about 10 years. Mm -hmm. So I, I tried to hedge the risk of rates going up. But to my surprise, interest rates never really ticked up. Yeah. They Prime stayed at three and a quarter, right about for about 10 years. And it wasn't until the end of 2018 that rates started to trick up. 
And what happened when, when the Fed raised the prime rate, which then raised all the other rates, especially for commercial, because a lot of commercial rates are based on prime plus a spread, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the economy started to teeter. And it yeah. was like within two months of raising prime because the government thought, oh, we're back into a equilibrium, we can raise rates, right? Um, they quickly had to reverse course and cut rates again because the economy wasn't as stable as they thought to sustain those rates. So I was wrong 10 years ago when I thought rates would go up. So the question is, are interest rates really gonna go up over the next several years? I think they have to, Michael. I don't think we can stay with with basically 0% Fed funds rate and a super low prime with as much money as we're printing. We're printing a lot more this time than we did in, in the Great Recession. The question is how long, right? And yeah. so for me, um, two years ago, I thought rates are going to stay, you know, in the 5% range. Well, I locked in some rates excited to be at five, five and a quarter, and then they dropped. So when the pandemic hit, I called all of my lenders and I just have a few commercial lenders that I work with. And I said, listen, I'm not going to ask you for a forbearance. I'm going to be faithful to pay. I've got a lot of cash reserves to make sure that even if this gets bad, I'm okay. But in exchange, I want you to lower my rate, even though I'm not due for a reset for four, five, six years. Mm. And so I got the banks to lock in my rates low, sub four, Mm. on almost all of my loans for at least another five years. And on the new debt, I've chosen, I had a choice of five, seven, or 10 I chose the seven-year option. Ah, I ran the numbers and I picked seven in between. So I'm not paying another quarter of a point for three more years of a low rate. Mm -hmm. I thought Mm -hmm. I'll just save more money, right? And if I need to essentially cut my interest rate, I'll just make a bigger payment, which will reduce the interest that I'm paying on the principal that's left. Yeah, makes sense. So when, the other thing about inflation, again, a lot of people throwing out kind of two countries, and it'll make sense in a minute, right? On the hyperinflation side, they talk about Germany, and then on the, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, they talk about Japan. I, you know, I think I think hyperinflation in the U.S. economy, as long as we are the reserve currency of the world, is crazy, right? Hyperinflation defined as you know something a hundred percent or even fifty percent. But if we talk about inflation, it you know, north of 5%, you know, being rough for the US. I think that's possible. And then I think, you know, we could be here for 20 years like Japan. So, you know, I don't know if you've studied or looked at either of those scenarios at all, but I'd be curious what you think of those two options. Yeah, I have loosely a few years ago. Um, you know, I, I think that, like you said, I don't think we're ever going to go into that level of hyperinflation. Um, you know, one of the big red herrings is, do we maintain the reserve currency of the world? There are a lot of countries in the world and in the UN um, and the International Monetary Fund that have been pushing mm-hmm. to change the reserve currency to not be the US, but a basket of a certain currency. So you've got the BRIC nations. Yep. Um, I think it's Russia, India, China, and is it Brazil? I think so, yeah. Um, the BRIC currencies. And so They've talked about switching to you know, that as the reserve currency. If that happens, I think we could see a big devaluation of the dollar, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the question is, what's the probability? I don't know yet, but it's definitely higher probability than it was a few years ago, right? So I think we have to realize that there is um, inflationary risk, which means a devaluation of our dollar 
increase in our cost to purchase goods and services. But it also means that if goods and services are more expensive, as long as there's not legislative interference, right, my asset prices go up and so do my rents. So by having real estate at all, rental property, real estate, any real estate, we have hard assets that if we do hit a period of inflation and increased costs, our assets are just going to get more valuable. And so I'm not as worried about inflation because I know that the value of my assets are mo most likely going to go up um, at the same time. Um, what I'm more focused on is if that happens, how do I hedge my legislative risk mm -hmm. that I can't raise rents to keep up with the increased costs um, that I'm, and that I might have to sell the properties and not be able to get the great tax benefits, right? So those are the kind of things that I'm thinking of, like not oh no, inflation's coming, what are we gonna do? It's well, everything's gonna be more expensive. And so everything I make is gonna go up and my net worth is gonna go up at the same time. Um, how do I hedge the legislative risk and buy properties that have less risk that the government's gonna intervene and keep me from raising my prices when the cost of everything else goes up? Yeah, this is always fun talking about real world because again, we're, we're, we're still making investments and we have to think about these things again and interest rate risk is something i haven't considered in 20 years so it's it's right it's pretty right interesting. and one benefit that you have michael investing mostly in single family homes is you can get 30-year fixed mortgages in some instances absolutely so i have used very little of the traditional conventional financing for single to four families you can have up to 10 in your own name with 30-year financing Historically, I've just gone straight to the commercial lenders because they're so easy for me to do business with and, and just, you know, did 20 year mortgages with five year terms, sometimes seven. But I will tell you that as I'm starting to um, hedge my bets a little bit, I've been buying vacation rentals. I'm using up my, you know, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, 30 year conventional financing on one to four unit properties where I can lock in that rate for 30 years. So locking in your rates as long as you can is one of the best things you can do to hedge inflationary risk. Yeah, and that, that's exactly what I'm, I'm telling, you know, new investors to focus on residential, right? Usually it's single family homes, but obviously yeah. it's fourplexes and below because 2021 is going to be that year where the Fed can keep rates low for a year, right? They have the, they have the wherewithal to do that. Who knows going forward? So rates will stay low. They'll probably be twos and threes this year. And yeah. you can get in before inflation really takes off because we won't see true inflation, even if the economy gets, I mean, retail sales this morning up 5.9%, just, and it was expected to be up 1.2 for January. Right. So, right. so we are coming back, but that won't yeah. even, you know, that won't hit, you know, the Fed's radar in any meaningful way until next year. So this is the year. You want to buy right. a single family rental, get your 30 year money now, get in before inflation, you know, do your work. Yeah. Let's go. And the other thing just to throw out there, that's, I think really important. You know, if you've listened to us talk before, you know, Michael and I are not an advocate of, you know, tons and tons of leverage, right. But you want to use leverage wisely. And the thing about an inflationary period is if we have inflation, if you buy properties, all cash, not only does it create opportunity cost loss, right? Because you can only buy one property instead of putting 20% down and buying five, right? With the same money. Um, but what happens is if you buy cash, people think I'm just gonna put all my cash and I'm gonna pay cash. 
the inflationary risk is now yours. So every dollar of equity that's that's stuck in that house is having inflation eat away at its value and its purchasing power. So your $100,000 investment today, if we have inflation 20 years from now, that, that might only buy what $50,000 today would buy, right? Yep, By yep. getting a mortgage for 80%, and I, I suggest most people get an 80% mortgage, 75 if that's the most you can get, it allows the bank to be the one that's taking that inflationary risk. So mm -hmm. their money's devalued. And as our values go up and our rents go up, our payment's the same at today's dollar, which is less than what it's gonna be worth in the future. So use leverage to your advantage to hedge some inflationary risk and spread your cash amongst multiple different properties, or even if one went down in value, the other four are going up in value. Wise words from Anna Kelly. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael.